Jeremiah chapter 23. Now we're aware of, I believe, that in the world there are those that we come in contact with that will not profit us at all. Uh, and for the most part, we know that and we avoid certain people uh, and so on. But there are those who are Christians, or those who may even say they're Christians, that are no profit at all to the kingdom of God. They're no profit to you. There are no, there's no profit as far as what they can give you as far as your development in the Lord. Now, in Jeremiah 23... The Lord comes to Jeremiah and he says certain things to him and he's going to go against the grain. Uh, he's going against the teaching of the, of the prophets there in Israel. And the Lord says this and it's quite revealing and, and we, we know this, we read it, but yet we don't really see sometimes that which does not profit us and what does profit us. And of course, that's kind of a broad statement. But in Jeremiah 23, verse 32, Behold, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, the Lord says, and, and tell them, and cause my people, or tell these false dreams, and, and cause my people to err by their lies and by their recklessness. Yet I did not send them or command them, therefore they, are of not, are, they, are, they shall not profit, or they will not be of any profit to this people. They will not benefit them. There will be no value there. And what these false prophets say will not cause the individual, the, the Israelite, to ascend. The Lord wants us in spirit to ascend. He wants to take us from one level to another level, from one place where we begin to a place where we have developed a little further and a little further and a little more and further on and so on. So he says that these prophets will not bring any value to your life. What they're saying is not going to value, bring anything of spiritual value to you. Now look at verse 30. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who steal my words, everyone from his neighbor. And if you go back to verse 26... How long uh, will this be uh, in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit, or they're prophets of deception. Uh, they're the deception of what? See, he says, the deception of their own hearts. See, that's why it says elsewhere that the heart is desperately wicked. See, there's a deception there. 
that the Lord will come through his word, through various means, to reveal the truth, reveal what we need to see, so that we do not believe the deception that can come from the heart. Who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream, and he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat? So he's, he's bringing a comparison here, and he's saying that the one is chaff and the other is wheat. That which uh, Jeremiah is speaking, that which the Lord is giving him to prophesy, is likened unto the wheat, and that which the false prof prophets bring, they're bringing things from the deceit of their heart. The Lord is saying, now here's the comparison here. What is the chaff to the wheat? So if, if we would have a table here, and we would lay wheat out on one side, and we would lay all the chaff, the, the kernels, the outside of the wheat, lay it there, and we would say, what is the comparison? Well, the, the comparison here is that the wheat will bring forth life. The wheat will bring forth something that's going to be of nourishment that will bring development value and so on, whereas the chaff is just nothing. It's blown away. It's just gone. Now, in John 6, let's turn there. Jesus brings the wheat. He gives them the wheat. He gives them that which is to nourish them. And in John 6, 66... From that time, or from that saying, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now, we're going to look in a little, little bit here at some prepositions. This preposition here, they walked no more with him, is the, the word meta. And that means fellowship. It means uh, companionship. It means that, that there is a movement so these here that Jesus gives the wheat to, at one point they were moving toward him, but now because of what he says, now they are no longer meta, they're no longer with him, they're not moving toward him, now there's not going to be this companionship. And um, back up a few verses here. Uh, to verse 61, well, let's um, go to 54. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, so there is the nourishment, there is the wheat, and my blood is drink indeed. So all the provision there, Jesus is telling them about the provision. Now in verse 61... When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does doth this offend you? Does this cause you to stumble? Does this trip you up? Uh, does this cause you to not believe anymore? Is this saying shocking to you? 
Does this offend you? Now, there are various sources of offenses that we're not going to actually get into, but you and I as Christians will experience offense, be it from the world, but many times we will have, I don't want to say opportunity, I guess the Lord looks at it that way, but we will be offended, or put it this way, there is the possibility that you and I can be offended in church, in the church, or being around other Christians, because how many of you know that Christians say things that aren't too good sometimes? They say things and they think it's the Lord and, you know, better to keep your mouth closed sometimes than to say something that's going to cause a problem. But if the heart of the Christian is toward the Lord and they are focusing upon him, then no matter what comes, there will not be an offense taken here. Over the years, I have had many, many opportunities to be offended. Even at first, when I first came into the church years ago, some things happened that, I mean, I could have been easily offended and left. And I said, Lord, keep me true to you and do not let me be offended and focus on what some of these people were saying, where there was a church split and, and so on. And I always wanted to have that type of a heart where I would not be offended no matter what's said to me. And so the Lord will bring certain things, and we're kind of getting away from where I want to go here, but the, the Lord will bring things our way to touch us to see if we can get over that and not be offended so that, like these disciples, something came. See, it doesn't matter what it is. There's, there's so many things that can cause an individual, a Christian, a disciple, to go back and no longer have the companionship with the Lord, meta, no longer with him. And so we need to guard our hearts. And so if somebody says something, you know, okay, whatever. There always seems to be those who become offended. Now, I've been in the church for many years, and I was way before Jake came. I was at the very beginning where the church started. There were some things said by Christians, and that goes on now, by the way. There were some things that said, said by Christians that offended other people. They were not good. They, were, they may have not meant them mean. I don't know the motive behind them. But the point was that there were those who were offended and left. In your household, how many times has your husband, you, or, you, or the wife, you, you women, said something to your mate that you would have liked to take back, and it was something offensive? Well, Blessed is the man or woman who is not offended. So uh, offenses can come anyway. I mean, any, from any place. It doesn't just be church, work. It can be anywhere. So, you know, these things we have to get over. So you're offended for a few minutes. Don't let that sidetrack you. Move on with God. Okay, in um, James, I'll read a, a verse from Corinthians. 
so there's always those that, that seem to become offended and walk no more with the Lord. That is something that is more common than we would think. I mean, you might not have seen this much, but if you're a Christian long enough and you have contact outside the church, you may see that. It's quite something to have to watch that happen. Being with him, they walk no more with him, but for you and I, being with him means that there is to be a connection between you and the Lord. Now, when I first say that, you may think, well, he's talking about initial salvation. No, that is true. When we were first saved, there was a connection. But there is to be a growing companionship and a growing connection between you and the Lord so that he is able to take you into things and through things and, and, all the, and out of things. And you'll know that there is something in you placed there by the Lord that his Holy Spirit can draw upon to you know, take you through and take you over or whatever it may be. And you, can, you, you will really know that there is this connection there between you and him. And that is, is actually supposed to grow. Uh, in Corinthians, it says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So he's talking about communion. He's talking about this connection that is supposed to be there between you and the Lord, the body and blood of Christ. Between you and him, there is to be in spirit a connection that is not to be severed in any way, including by offense. Now in... James 5, verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Now, the word here, coming, when Christians read this verse initially, they're thinking of the second coming of Christ, the second advent, and so on. And, and that applies. But the word coming in this verse is a noun that comes from a Greek verb that is a present participle, presently. So there's also the application here that this coming is referring to not just the second advent, but a personal coming of the Lord to you and I as a Christian, however that may be. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the parousia of the Lord. That means... Uh, presence, it has various meanings. Arrival, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the parousia, the coming of the Lord, is at hand. Now, in this verse, this word parousia is meaning his coming, his presence, but it's also talking about a possible connection there between you and the Lord. Paul uses this same word 
when he says to the churches that I am going to come to you, Perusia, I'm going to come to you, hopefully there will be a connection between you and I when I come. It's the same basic thought between you and the Lord. Is, there, is, is this connection there when he comes to you personally? Now, in Ephesians, stay with me. Ephesians 2, verse 21. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, he's talking about a building. He's not talking about the temple. He's not talking about a physical building. He's talking about the building of the Lord being the church, being you. Verse 22, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place, a habitation of God, a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Verse 19, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So there is a building Project. There is a building that is to be going on. And the success of that building will depend upon, to a great degree, your connection to the Lord when He comes to you personally. Whenever that is. For a particular time or reason, whatever, whatever. So there is, there is to be a connection, and the Lord comes to build this connection, to make that thing stronger. Now, in Colossians, in the epistles of Paul, you will see something that he mentions often. He talks about this fullness, and he talks about it in Colossians and Ephesians and um, elsewhere, We'll read a couple of verses. And there is this fullness that Paul desired for the church to come into. He, he was desiring those saved ones to come into a greater fullness than they have now at that time. In Colossians 1.9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you, be, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. So he's talking about a, a greater fullness there, that you would be filled with this, uh, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So depending upon whether the Lord can strengthen his connection with your heart or not, will determine whether... He is able to bring you, me, another Christian, into a more full place. Now, in um, this is the one I actually wanted you to turn to, Ephesians. In Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 19. To know the love of, of Christ which, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This word, with, do you realize that whenever they, trans, all English Bibles are translations, you know that, right? And the translators try to make a Bible that is readable to the masses. 
So they're going to use, most of the time, certain grammar rules and put certain words in there to make the sentence make more sense. But I want to show you this preposition here. It says, and that you may be, feel full, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That word with there is not meta. That usually the word meta is translated with in the Bible. This word is the word ice, and that means into. So if I were to say, uh, Rich, I want you to come out here and come into this pew. So we understand he's coming into this pew. Now if I say, Rich, you Mary Jane, you with Mary Jane come up here. Now it adds a, a different dimension to the thought. Now he's just not going into. With means there's something added, something uh, that is together, something that you have with you or a person with you or, or whatever it may be. So if you add the word into in the verse, it doesn't really sound right, but let me read it anyway. That you may be filled into all the fullness of God. So there is a place that the Lord wants to take us spiritually, and that is into a fullness that we do not have with us at this particular time. And that's always the way the Lord moves. He brings us toward something greater, something more, something fuller. That's why he talked about abundant life. That's something more than initial life. Now, let's look at this word meta in John eight twenty nine. And he that sent me, Jesus said, is with me. And the Father hath not uh, let me alone, for I do always those things that please him. He that sent me is with me. That's the word meta. And that means companionship, fellowship. It means motion toward. Now, it's used in the Bible referring uh, to the angels, with. Uh, also, I just picked a couple things. You know, with the sword, with the sword, you have it, uh, with the publicans. So the word in and of itself can have various meanings. But Jesus uses this referring to the connection between him and the Father. There's a companionship, there's a, a fellowship, and there's motion toward. You have to bring that into the picture because I think that's very important. There is to be a motion toward. So those who walked no more with Jesus, Meta, did not have the companionship, they did no, no longer had the fellowship, and there was no motion now in their life toward the Lord. Now see, that is individual. A person can be in the church and there be no motion in their heart toward the Lord. A person can leave the church, and I don't just mean this church, any church, they can leave in right standing and still have that in their heart, that motion toward him, toward the Lord. Or they can leave the church, and when they leave the church, there is no companionship with the Lord, and there is no longer the motion toward him that there once was. So that's all individual. People come, people go, people do this, people do that. You know, 
the Lord, you know, it's not so much the, you know, what people do where they go. The Lord is looking at the heart, and is there this motion toward him? Movement. Spiritually. Well, there's no motion because I'm sitting. It has nothing to do with you sitting. In spirit, are you moving toward him? See, these in John 6, see, that, that there's, that's problematic. There's a difficulty. There's something there that causes the individual to no longer meta, no longer be with him. And I'll read this verse. It also uses the word, Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long with you, Philip? And yet you ask me, show us the Father. So even though there was a connection between the Lord and Philip, there wasn't a connection that needed to be there because the Lord says, you asked me about this connection to my Father that I have. Show us the Father. Well, that tells me that the connection between you and I is not quite the way it should be yet. Yet. And later on, after Jesus dies in the resurrection and, and so on, then you see the apostles ha have this thing. It's like this connection there with the Lord, and they're moving toward him, and they go out. They go out. And in um, 1 John, you know, sometimes we don't think about some of these things. I, I wasn't thinking about this when I was looking at this word. I don't know why I looked at this word this week. I have a, a little chart that I, I uh, found, and it gives all the Greek verbs, um, excuse me, all the Greek prepositions. Well, I thought they were all in there. This meta wasn't on there. I added it. And it illustrates them on this paper, and it tells you what they mean, because one preposition that you change throws a little different light on what is being said. And you go to the translation, the King James, New King James, I don't care which one it is, they're all translation, they're making it readable. So we sometimes miss certain uh, truth because we don't see a simple preposition. And so I was looking at this, and, and what I did was I took all the prepositions that I got and put the Strong's numbers on them. And I was actually drawn to this one, the, the word meta, with. Because it's very significant in certain verses. Now, you can catch that in spirit. You can see that truth without knowing the preposition and the application of it in the verse. You can catch, still catch it. That's beside the point. You can't. But seeing it and understanding it sometimes is very helpful. In 1 John, there is a special connection you see in the Bible here with John. Uh, you know, you see that when he uh, rests his head on Jesus. Not just the physical thing, but... Sometimes the physical thing points to something spiritual, you know. And, and so there was, even when John was walking with, with Jesus physically on the earth, there was, there was more of a connection than the others. 
And in his writing, now we teach in the Bible school the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When you come to the Gospel of John, many of the things that are in the Gospel of John are not in the other Gospels. And I believe the reason for that is because of the connection that John had to the Lord. And the Lord was able to take certain things in spirit and just, you know, just uncover that and show that to John, and he was able to see that. And he starts to talk about these things. And, of course, the other apostles had that connection. But some have, uh, uh, I don't know what, what it is, <laughs> but some have a different connection. Not that that's wrong, but some have a different connection than others. But look at this in 1, one John. And we'll just read these verses and see if you can, can catch this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. There's, there was such a connection that John is saying, you know, we heard, you know, our eyes beheld, we saw, we handled. And he's not talking about handling Jesus physically. He's talking about the things he saw, heard, and handled in spirit. You are to see, hear, and handle things in spirit as a Christian. The life was manifest, and we have seen and bear witness and declare unto you that eternal life which was with the Father. That is the word, the preposition pros, and that means toward. Let me read that again. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was toward the Father and was manifest to us. So John saw the connection between Jesus toward the Father. See, that was manifest to him. That was manifest. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, meta. We're back to the fellowship, the companion, and being toward. And truly our fellowship is meta with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. There is to be a companionship. John saying, okay, because we saw this connection toward the Father in Jesus' life, now, that was our pattern, and our heart is toward the Lord, and there is this connection now between us and Him. Now He's saying, now all of you in the churches, we want to have a connection or a fellowship, a companionship between us, what we have seen, heard, and touched, and you. We want you to experience that. For truly, he says, our fellowship is and our companionship is with Jesus Christ and the Father. So John takes these things, he sees these things moving in spirit, and he puts that out there for the church. Now, just because we can read these verses and we can quote these verses... 
and we know what the words mean in the verses, does not mean that a Christian will come into that life that John is talking about, that abundance, that further, that, that more, like Paul was saying, the fullness, coming into this fullness. It doesn't mean that, that we will come into that. It means that we have the opportunity to, and that's really nice. So John had something that most do not. John is trying with words to paint this picture spiritually. If you can, you know, the, word, the word is life. And the word can come and bring us from where we are to a more full area of life. It's just like when you, you teach or you preach, and you put something out there. Some are able to get it, and they, it's like the Lord just opens that up. They see it, and they move toward it, and the Lord's able to do something. I was teaching uh, a, a couple semesters ago, Revelation class, and I was dealing with something, and I didn't know if anybody was really going to catch what was uh, the teaching was here. There's something else moving underneath. And one of the students said something, and, and what he said was, he, what he said showed me that in spirit he caught something from the Lord. And I stopped the class and I said, you just got something from the Lord because I, I knew it. But you can't teach that. You can't. You can't preach and, and get that into people. That has to be done by the Holy Spirit. You put it out there, and now that life is there, and if there is an opening of the eye or a pulling up of the shade, and, and now they start to see that. Now, just seeing isn't enough. Seeing that, and now they begin to move toward the Lord. They, they move toward what they're seeing, not a particular truth. They're moving toward the one who is the truth. Then now the Lord can begin to take them further into a fuller place. Because of the connection that's there, now they can walk in a place that they never could walk before. And the Lord is quite something. He's quite good at bringing a person along if they want to come further. He's quite good at it. Now let's turn to John chapter 1, a few more scriptures. I wonder, when I read the book of Acts, sometimes I think about, about this, that all the Jews were in the temple. They're in the synagogue. And they're teaching the law and you know, reading the law and all, all that. And then on the back side of the temple, Solomon's porch, is where the Lord was. And there he is, he's back there. And it says that, that the apostles taught daily, daily. I, I studied this at one time, and from what I could see, it was approximately five to seven years, I believe, don't quote me on that, before you have people coming out from the place where the Lord was, 
was just pouring out his spirit and, and life. You have two people come out from that particular place five to seven years later, Philip and Stephen. How long did the other people that were there, how long did they sit under that teaching of the apostles, teaching daily, to where the Lord started to really open things up to them, to where they could perceive it, they saw it, they heard it, and they were able to handle it. See, not all Christians that have a revelation can handle it. Because the Lord reveals something to you doesn't mean you just do what you want with that. You, you know, that's, you hold that. You have to handle that. The Lord says, I, I see something about you. The Lord shows me something about you. Well, that, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean I run over to you and tell you about it. See, you have to handle the life, and he's the one who will tell you how to handle it whether you say something or you don't. So here they are at Solomon's porch, and here's this life being poured out. They're teaching daily. Teaching, teaching, teaching. How much teaching is enough? How many messages is enough to be heard, you know, be heard by a Christian? Have you ever... Just sit down, maybe later, or maybe after class, or after Sunday school. Sit down and figure out how long you've been coming to church, approximately how many times a week, and see how many services that is and how many messages you've heard. You might be surprised to know that you've heard over a thousand messages or thousands of messages. How many messages is enough to bring you into fullness? None of them. None of them. It's going to take the Lord working in your heart and revealing something, opening something to you, to which, ah, yeah, I see that. Okay, Lord. How long was it at Solomon's porch before you know, some of these people caught certain things in spirit? It's not about hearing a message. Jeez. There's messages. You can go on iTunes, and there are literally... Thousands and thousands of messages by pastors, teachers, evangelists, all on iTunes. And you can download 150 of them. But see, that's not it. The message is not it. See, there is to be a communication. Teaching, preaching is to communicate something, not just words from a page. Something is communicated in spirit that can change something in a person's life forever. Well, the Lord wants you to move into a deeper place. Well, how is this connection between you and him? Well, that's going to be a starting point. In John 1, verse 16, And of his fullness... We have all received. That means initial salvation, of course. We have received a fullness whenever we came to Christ. 
But it doesn't stop there, as we see with Paul and with John. He, he, this is an introduction here of his fullness we have received. Yes, we have. But you go back to the epistles, and even here in John, when you go to John 15, the word abide in John 15, in like the first 16 verses, is used like 11 times. Abide, abide, abide. There is this connection, see, that is going to be a catalyst to take you deeper in Christ. For of his fullness we have received and grace for grace. In closing, two verses in Ephesians. How many churches on Sunday morning across the country, or across the world for that matter, do people come in and they sit down and they want to hear a message? Well, I come in I want to hear the message. That was a good message. Well, it might have been a good message, but what of life was deposited in you? What have you brought... You know, have you brought into the church a heart that is able to receive? And did you receive something from the Spirit of God? See, it's not the message. These kids downstairs, they hear these stories, and you start, uh, you talk about Noah's Ark. Oh, I've heard that story 50 times down here. I know all about it. Oh, you do? There's something more than the story. And, and you as a teacher are to carry that into the class, not just the teaching. You are to carry something with you, in you, that as you give that, the Lord can do what he wants with that. You, a person may never remember the message. They may not remember what you spoke on and still leave having something deposited within them. Have you ever left church and, and the husband say to the wife or the wife say to the husband, what was that message about? Do you remember? <laughs> I've done that. So what did they teach on again? What was the scripture? We can't even remember what scripture was used. So it's not about that. What of life was given and what of life was received and what connection is there now to bring you fuller, to, to a fuller place in, in the Lord. See. Ephesians 1.23, uh, which is his body, speaking of the church, the fullness of him who fills all in all. See, there is a fullness in Christ that is being deposited in certain Christians or in Christians. And all of that together, which is quite something, all of that together is considered the fullness of Christ. So no matter how much a person has in Christ, that is just a little bit. But the point being is that he wants you as a Christian to move into a fuller life in him. In Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, 
For what reason? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that stature there uh, is dealing with maturity, meaning godly characteristics, godly virtues, and so on, that you and I are to be filled with. So your connection with the Lord, like we saw with John, is important because that will be a catalyst for the Lord to use to bring you on into a further place, a more full relationship, uh, having the fullness of the Lord to a greater degree developed within you. And it seems to me that most of the the teaching of, of the apostles is to that end. It seems to me. They'll deal with, with initial salvation in certain places, but when they start looking and viewing Jesus, they see this fuller thing. They see this connection between him toward the Father, and, and that becomes something that they move toward. And their movement to, toward that is going to be very beneficial because that developed that in them. And so... My hope and prayer for all of us here is that, that we would keep this connection with the Lord so that he can bring us into a different place, uh, a, a place of abundance that we do not have uh, to the degree he wants us to have today. And so let us be attentive to him and walk with him have our hearts toward him so he can do what he wants to do.